we have been walking through this series we're calling Pursuit, and as we kind of are moving toward really the final two weeks that I get the privilege of sharing, what I'd like us to consider is that our faith, our faith in Jesus, it, it has a remarkable ability to expand our endurance. That it has so much more for us than simply something of a belief. But when we are, join our journey with the journey Jesus is inviting us into or God is asking us to move into, when we, when we say, yes, I will pursue that life, I will pursue that journey, something starts to occur within us. Our endurance starts to expand. And he is the one who gives us the means by which that happens. Our capacity increases. But he does so in a rather unique way because even though he's the one who is able to increase our endurance, he never eliminates our need to choose to remain under the weight, to remain in spite of the pressure, to remain through the obstacle and maybe even the pain. There is this unique way in which God strengthens us but it invites us to become part of the strengthening. Ah, I don't think anything kind of exemplifies what endurance looks like, like, like sports do. Now, February, this is one of those unique days where there's kind of, there seems to be a rather large event in the sports world uh, today. But this month is actually, and I don't follow it that, that much necessarily, but this month is actually kicking off the Winter Olympics as well. Starting Friday, it's, we're going to see it out of South Korea. There are athletes from all over the world that are going to converge, and they're going to be competing at high levels. And every single one of these competitions will demonstrate in one way, shape, or form what endurance looks like. And it just so happens that yesterday morning, I was having one of those rare mornings where uh, things were slowed down enough where I had some time to be able to read the paper. And I went ahead and had a cup of coffee and I opened up the paper and I was just thinking about what we were going to be sharing this weekend. And on one of the, the Wall Street Journal, one of the headlines caught my attention. It says, head games, the mental tricks of athletes, of athletic endurance. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, I definitely believe athletics shows us something about endurance. But in, in this article, something was captured that I thought, wow, you know what? That's a, that's a remarkable story. And what they share is a story of a woman who in 2010 did something pretty amazing. She was a Slovenian cross-country skier. Her name was Petra Matic, and she was in the midst of warming up for her competition. And she had been training for this day. And in the midst of warming up, before her first heat, she skidded off an icy corner, fell more than 10 feet off the track, and found herself at the bottom of a rocky creek bed. Feeling enormous pain, she made her way over to the local medical tent, entered, went inside, and asked the doctor to go ahead and examine her. And after giving her an ultrasound, the doctor said, you know, I don't know how else to say this, but it just seems like everything's okay. And she double-checked and says, everything's okay? The doctor says, you're all clear. She says, can I compete still? The doctor says, yes, you, you can go ahead. And so she made her way through the excruciating pain and every step of the way as she made her way over to the first heat, she started to recognize something of a thought that developed within her. She said, you know what, if the doctor says I'm okay, this pain, this pain my body is telling me about, 
It's all in my head. And she went up to the first heat. She finished the first heat in such a way that she was able to qualify for the quarterfinal. She completed the quarterfinal in such a way that she was allowed entry into the semifinal. And she completed the semifinal in such a way that she had a place on the final race. Each step of the way, excruciatingly painful. And she gets up to the final point, the final race, and she finishes that race having earned a bronze medal. Which, we say, it would not be a gold medal. But in her case, it would be nothing short of miraculous. Because after that podium moment, and after enjoying that moment, she went ahead and made her way to the local hospital and went ahead and asked the doctor to take a look at her. The pain was so big. And she ended up finding out after a ultrasound there that she had actually been misdiagnosed in the medical tent. And what made this remarkable is that she completed those four races having had four broken ribs. And the pain that she was enduring was that of a broken rib stabbing one of her lungs, puncturing it, and it had finally had collapsed. And this article says, this is an example in which the body has this ability to not just warn us to stop, but it does so before it actually, um, far before it has the capacity to continue going. And they said, this athlete, which we have to say, none of us are Olympians, all right? I mean, she's in a remarkable physical condition. She had devoted her entire life to this. She had mentally focused herself. But through the entire process, one thing was very clear. The way she spoke about what she was experiencing allowed her to endure the pain. The way she processed it actually enabled her body to move forward. And the article says this is an amazing thing that many scientists are now looking at. That many times, many times, the feeling that we can go no further, it's just that. It's a feeling. And reality is that we are far more capable than we initially think. Now, it's not to say that we can just think our way through. Listen, she, she had a punctured lung. She had broken ribs. She, she actually ended up no longer being able to participate in the remaining Olympics. She spent the entire week in the hospital recuperating. But there is something to be said. This is, this is kind of what got my attention, is that her ability to talk herself through the pain increased her capacity to endure. And in many ways, this amazing example, I think it exemplifies that endurance. You know what? When we talk about endurance, it's intimately connected to a couple things. It's connected to the value we place on what we are pursuing. If we consider what we are pursuing extremely valuable, well, there is enormous strength there. It's connected to the way we speak to ourselves when inevitable obstacles come our way. And it's connected to the reality that we have far more capacity within us than what we think we do. We can push beyond. There's no negating reality. She was injured. She was in need of repair. But there are moments in our lives where in our pursuit, we're a month in. We're a month in now. 
And a lot of times we can begin our pursuit, we can begin our year with certain things in focus. And I just wonder, as we, I, I thought about this because there are things in our lives, we may not be Olympians, but we are each in our own race. And I wonder if there are any areas right now, if we were to consider, what is that one area where I am in most need of endurance? What is that one pursuit right now that I am following, that I am with everything in my being, I have started it out, I have decided I'm going to move forward, but in this last month what has happened is actually it feels like I've careened off the corner of my track and now I feel like I'm wounded at the bottom of a rocky creek bed. And man, do I need endurance. Others of us, perhaps we, we're in a place where we started out well and we are pursuing certain things in our relationships. We're pursuing certain things in our careers. Maybe there's a habit we're seeking to build. Perhaps there's something we're seeking to build out of. Wherever we might be, there will be a moment. Some of us, we may actually be in this place right now, wounded. And it is not, listen, the temptation is not to rest and it is not to recuperate, and it is not to heal. You know what happens when obstacles come our way? The temptation is to talk ourselves out of the pursuit altogether and to cease, to cease the race we're supposed to run. Now, if that is where we're at, what I would love to share with us here in our time together is that our faith in Jesus it gives us the capacity to enlarge our ability to endure. He gives us the means. We will not find it simply out of nowhere. He gives us the means. But he invites us to become part of the process. We must choose. We must choose. In fact, if you open up your handout, we will walk through a passage in which the author of this letter is writing to a group of people who actually are in a place where they need to hear they need to hear. They need to run the enduring pursuit. And we'll just jump into verse 32 in Hebrews 10 that says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is, you came to a point of believing in Jesus, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. And sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Remember, I want you, it seems the writer is addressing a group of people who are actually in a rather remarkable place in life. Listen, many of us, we might think we came to a point or we are exploring life with God because of the pain in our lives. Or because of the need or the longing. What he is writing to is he's writing to a group of people and he's saying to them, listen, do you remember that when you start off, you start off and because you started your, your pursuit of Jesus, pain entered your life. Do you remember that? Do you remember that because you decided to follow what God was putting in your heart, it wasn't that you were coming out of pain, you knowingly stepped into it. Do you remember that you counted the value of what you're pursuing worth that cost. Do you remember that? Do you remember how you started off so well that you knew this would invite trial and you said, I want to follow anyway. And you knew this was going to be challenging and you said, I think it's worth it. Remember, this pursuit of yours, it, it, it was one in which you said, you know what, the cost of it 
is worth the attaining of it. In fact, it did something to you. It, it impacted you internally. It says in verse 34, you, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Listen, do you remember how you started in this journey? Do you remember that you knew moving in this direction would be difficult, but you said, I will do it anyway. It's worth it. And then do you remember how the challenges that this pursuit started altering how you processed it out? Do you, do you remember? Here's what he's saying. Something remarkable happened to your heart. It, it, it didn't shrink. It expanded. And in the midst of the trial, you know what happened? Your concern was no longer self-focused. Your concern, your sphere of concern enlarged and it started to enlarge and other people were allowed in it. Your soul started expanding and you had compassion, not just for those you love and not just for your family, but then for even people that weren't even in your life. For those in prison and often forgotten, your compassion expanded because you thought this pursuit was worth it. In fact, you ended up, yes, it's true, you suffered much, your resources were depleted, but you didn't see it that way. Look, your compassion expanded and your joy increased. And do you remember that? You, something remarkable was happening in you because you joyfully allowed, listen, you were so moved internally that you decided to use and allow your material resources to be used to comfort, empower, and strengthen others. It, he is speaking to a group of people who demonstrated amazing endurance, tenacity, the highest level of what it looks like to pursue something worthy of our pursuit. And we're told, but it, it seems as though they entered a season in which perhaps they expected it to last a little while. They did not think it would last as long as it was. The immense persecution and the trials they were experiencing, they started to wear them down. And we're told in verse 35, the author is saying to them, therefore, listen, remember that. Remember how you started. Do not throw away your confidence. Remember, don't, don't let your conviction wane, which has a great reward. What you are pursuing, it's worth it. It's worth it. In fact, for you have need of endurance. This is the word in Greek, hupomeno, which literally means to remain under. You need to remain. Don't give up on the very reason you started this. You need to remain under it, which, listen, this endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That is the reason for which you even started. It will be yours if you remain. For, and then he ends up quoting this author from Habakkuk. He says, listen, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. That is, their confidence in me will make them right. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back. Can you see it? It's the drumbeat the drumbeat of encouraging them to remain in the pursuit. Listen, who shrink back and are destroyed. No, but we are those who have faith and preserve our soul. We're the ones who stick it out. We're the ones, we don't give in to the temptation to quit. 
We might falter, we might have a lapse, we might careen off a corner, but we come back and we keep running. This is what he's saying. I just love the way the message actually captures this. And I asked him to put this up there because I thought, boy, this, is, this captures it in kind of a unique way. It says, but you, you need to stick it out. You need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most at any moment, at any minute. But if anyone is right with me, he thrives on loyal trust. He trusts that what I say I'll do, I'll do it. And listen, if anyone is right with me, he thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be very happy. But we're not quitters. This isn't our faith. Our faith doesn't quit on us. And it invites us to reciprocate. Listen, we, we are not those who lose out. No, we'll stay with it and we'll survive. We'll trust in him every single step of the way. That's who we are. That's what we're defined by. That's what our faith does to us. That's what following Jesus ends up converting us into. It's almost as if he's saying, there are other areas in your life where in your past, perhaps this was the way, but not anymore. This is now being transformed. You are now one of those who stick it out. That's who you are. This actually reminded me of this idea of an author, Seth Godin, who's a rather well-known blogger and somewhat of a sociologist. He's a prolific writer. He wrote his small book called The Dip. And in this book, he basically explains that every single one of us has a endeavor, a journey we're pursuing. And we might even remember how we began this year. And some of us, we, we move forward into something that was deep within our soul. And when we do it, you know what? Every, he says, you know what? Every single one of us will encounter what he calls the dip. And he has this kind of chart or this, this graph that he demonstrates this. He goes, you know, we begin and we know it's an uphill climb, but we expect it to be a short uphill climb. And because we begin knowing and seeing ourselves at the top of the mountain. And so we say, of course, it's going to be challenging. And so we all begin. He says, we all begin. But then what happens is we, we, we start to feel a little deceived. Because like on any hike, we might think the summit is right there. And once we get there, we realize, no, no, that's not the summit. No, no, no. There's, there's an enormous valley now. And the summit is actually far beyond what I originally saw. He says, but we don't lose heart. We usually say, all right, I've made it this far, I'll continue. And we start going. And then we start picking up some momentum and it starts feeling like we're running downhill. And so that feels good. And then we get to the bottom. He says, and that dip, that dip starts to feel like, oh, this is far harder than I ever imagined. He says, everyone gets there. This is what he says. He, based on what he has observed with companies, with people, with how societies function, he says, everyone gets there. So that should comfort us if that's where we're at. <laughs> but he says, but there's a difference. See, he says, there, there is a difference between those who make it to the top, what he calls winners, and the rest of us. And the difference is surprising. It's not, they always muscle it out. He says, the difference is winners quit. And this is what he says. Winners quit all the time. 
They quit all the time. But you know the difference? They just quit the right stuff at the right time. He says, a lot of times, they, they, we all initiate a pursuit. We all think this is great and this is worth our while and our energy and our focus. But the winners are the ones who recognize very quickly, uh, I was mistaken, this is not worth me pursuing. I, I, I was actually a little bit misguided. This is not actually worth the investment that I was initially. See, the, the end is not worth uh, me going through this. And they cut and run. And they... You know what they do? They pursue worthy, worthy endeavors. And he says, and he says it, he says it rather matter of factly, he says the decision to quit or not is a simple evaluation. He uses this word simple. I don't think it's simple. But he says it's a simple evaluation. Listen, it, it, it is, here's the question we are to ask. Is the pain of the dip worth the benefit of the light at the end of the tunnel? He says, winners ask that question over and over and over. Is the pain I'm walking through worth the benefit of what I'm striving to get to? That is the question. And the writer to the Hebrews is essentially saying with a resounding echo, this is a pursuit. This is one of those we don't shrink back from. You don't understand how good it will be. You cannot imagine how fulfilling it will be. This is one of those you do not quit. And it's almost as if he's saying, listen, faith that endures, it has the ability to have this increasing sense of zero minimized regrets. Because it starts to attain momentum and it starts to capture something of movement. And that promise we started initiating for, it becomes more and more real. He says in verse 1 of Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. We are clearly not running after something we already have. Oh, no. We are running after something that is often in distance. It's almost as if he's saying movement on what we believe about God. It's movement based on what we believe about God not on our present reality. He says, that's how you are to endure. And if we are in a place where we feel a little depleted, I can tell you that Hebrews 11 is one of the most fantastic chapters to read because it has countless examples, one after another after another, of men and women who were not perfect, who did not, who did not do it without faltering, who did not run this race without failing, but you know what they did? They endured. And they exemplified what it looks like to move forward. And he chronicles that. And he says at the end, he says, I, I, I do not even have space to tell you of all the different people that have never regretted not quitting on this race. He says, in, in light of that, I want you to remember, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is that heritage that we have, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings closely. Listen, let us run with endurance. There's that word again, the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one. 
He is the one who was able to run this perfectly. And it's almost like the drumbeat of the entire letter is saying, I know you're under tremendous pressure. I know you're experiencing persecution. I know you're experiencing trials. I know you're under pain, but you, you, you need to know this. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. It's worth it. It's over and over. So you need to do this. You need to remember, no one ran it perfectly, only Jesus. And as you fix your eyes on him, you'll be able to move forward. Now, it's a, it's a great model. It has so much for us. I, I think what I'd like to do in the remaining moments we have here is propose a couple things that I'm hoping and I think will increase our ability to endure. In the pursuits we, we know, this isn't one we're supposed to quit on. Uh, see, what this shows us is that, number one, the enduring pursuit, it is developed in the secret practices of our daily lives. It's developed in the secret practices of our daily lives. Listen, it, you know what he doesn't say, the author? He does not address how to avoid pain. He does not address how to live a challenge-free life. He doesn't talk about that. He doesn't address how to, listen, this is how you stay out of the conflict. This is how life becomes easier. He, does, he doesn't address that at all. He doesn't even talk about the things going on in his life. You know what he addresses? He addresses the internal life. He speaks of their confidence, that is their conviction, their trust, the things that are laid within the secret parts of who we are, the caverns of our soul that cultivate and grow either loyalty and trust and faith and belief or the exact opposite, which is doubt and fear and anxiety. And those things rival each other within us all the time. And he's saying, listen, remember to guard your confidence. Remember that. Don't let it. I know it's I know you're getting tired. Pay attention to how you are doing within. The, the psalmist, he's saying, he, he, he shows us a little bit of what this is like when he said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Uh, point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. The psalmist actually is saying, you know what? I want to develop a life that invites you without hiding anything. That, that is an open book. I want to come before you, God, and I want to say, Lord, I, I invite you into the depths of my heart. Something we would never actually do with anyone. I invite you into the areas I even hide from myself. I invite you into my self-talk. I invite you to inform how I am talking myself through this. I invite you into my anxieties and my fears. Come into the secret caverns of who I am. I invite you into my propensity to skid off the track. And you know what? Inviting him, listen, you know what the psalmist demonstrates? Inviting him is not something that we do with fear of condemnation. It is actually something that is done like an injured athlete does when they walk into a medical tent and they ask the doctor, will you inspect me? Will you examine me? Because we know that you are out for my best. And here's the difference. 
unlike a flawed doctor. We will never be misled by our great physician. We will never be tricked. We will never be deceived. And yet their posture, his posture toward us is one of, I want to give you everlasting life. Ah, the great psalm says, ah, the Lord is my shepherd. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Some of us, it is our confidence and our trust in him. Lord, will you restore my soul? And it is something we, we need to do each moment, but certainly in some way or shape or form to develop the cadence because the cadence of confidence being guarded and protected is the cadence of endurance increasing. See, we do that. We start to discover that we have the ability to pull on the means of God to be able to increase our ability to endure. And if, if that's the case, look, the enduring pursuit, you know what? It's also advanced when we focus on what we can control. When we focus on the very thing, this is why in, after explaining how to work through this interior life, he says, you know what? I want you to remember something. I want you to lay aside the weights. I want you to lay aside the traps that trip us up. I want you to run your race and I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. He does not say a single thing about the experiences or the external realities. He says everything about what they can do. It doesn't, it, it, you, can be, you can be in jail. You could be free. You could be poverty-stricken. You could be wealthy. You could be lonely. You could be wounded. You could be sorrowful. You could be extraordinarily happy and joyful. Focus on what you can do. Focus on what you can do. Focus on what's under your control. Do that. Lay, lay aside the weights. Lay aside the traps. Run your race. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Do this and you will advance. This is what the author is saying to him. And You know, there was... Um, in the early 1900s, there was an event that caught the world by storm. It was a race to the South Pole. It was between two men, Roald Amundsen and Robert Scott, one a Norwegian and one an English naval officer. And there was entire nations were behind the rally of these two people, the first people to ever make it to the center of the South Pole. Both teams made it. Both teams made it successfully. One team made it back. One team on the journey back perished with all their equipment, all their animals, and with every single life. They did not make it back. And there were many differences in leadership styles, but a rolled, rolled amongst in the Norwegian is actually the one who made it back, not just himself, but every single member of his team fully alive, having been able to be victorious and survive the journey back from victory. And it would be Robert Scott who would be known as the man who actually ventured into this journey. And yes, every single one of them knew they were putting their life on their own hands. But every single one of them lost their life. And their leadership style had many differences. But one of them actually captured, captured many people. He had developed, Roald Amundsen developed what is known now as the 20-mile march. And he decided he would venture into this journey in a very different way than anyone else. He said that every day he would pace his team to move forward no matter what the conditions, 15 to 20 miles a day, every single day. 
And this was a challenge because in good weather, when the team could go further, a team filled with very competitive men who were on this journey, who were fighting for their nation, they would push rolled and they would say, listen, we can go further than 20, we can go 25, we can go 30, we can even maybe max out at 35. We'll get there faster, let's go. And Roald Amundsen had to, had to calm them down and say, no, 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 we need to, we need to avoid complete exhaustion. 15 to 20. I know the weather's good. You need to restrain yourself. And when the weather was bad and there were gale force winds and there was a blizzard outside, he would have to force them to move forward as close to 15 miles as possible. And he would have to push them. Scott had a very different strategy. Scott actually would navigate his team based on the external conditions. When the weather was good, he would drive his team extraordinarily hard because he thought this is a window of opportunity. And so we will go as far as we can. We will max out 25, maybe 30, maybe 35 miles together. We will get there faster. And they would end up stumbling into their tents, completely exhausted, too tired to even eat. And on bad days, he'd end up hunkering down in his tent and what survives is his journal entries. What he would do is he would complain about the terrible conditions and how it's impossible for anyone to possibly move through these conditions and how this was setting them back. And they found that the way Amundsen traveled and the way Scott traveled had a lot to do with their interior and their actions. Amundsen say the weather was ferocious. We made it 10 miles. Beautiful weather today. Held the men to 17 miles. And he made a 650 mile journey, focusing on what he could control. I wonder, what are the daily habits that no matter what the circumstances are, when it comes to our pursuit, we can choose to move towards our 20 mile march. And we could choose to say, the circumstances are terrible, but I got, I got 10 miles today. And thank you for this beautiful day. I restrained myself to 17. We do that, we see advancement. We see advancement. You know what ends up happening is that our enduring pursuit begins to be strengthened by our hope. A hope that does not put us to shame. A hope that does not let us down. Hope, by the way, you know what it inherently means? It inherently means long-term investment. We do not hope for something we can microwave. Oh, I hope this popcorn pops. <laughs> we do not. We hope for the things that are so far out there, it would require an act of God to do it. We, we, we hope for things that are so unbelievably challenging that they stretch our soul in the struggle of it. And something inside of us says, I know it's difficult, but God, you have told me you will do it, and so you will. I trust in you, and I will move forward with you, and I will not be disappointed by you. 
And over time, what ends up happening is that if we look to the future, listen, we can, we can go to any movie, any film, any great story, any epic novel, we can go into the worst day of the protagonist's life, and if all we see is the worst day of their life, we would say there is no hope for them. And many times we evaluate our lives and those around us in the same way, not knowing that the story is much larger. And if God is the author of that story, well, the end is good. The end is victorious. The end is fulfilling. The end is worth the journey. And we start to see that when God is in the midst of our story, he will give us the means to endure the process. And we will get to the end of our journey, wherever it might lead us, extraordinarily fulfilled and satisfied. This is not a pursuit, the pursuit of Jesus, of what God has breathed, breathed into our soul. This is not one of those we quit. The light is worth the pain. May we be those who endure. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving. I have a final song, but I'd love to just pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're able to meet us exactly where we're at in the midst of our very unique challenges, whether it has to do with the environments we're in or the environments within. I pray that you would give us your grace you would expand our ability to guard and strengthen our confidence in you. That you would help us, Lord, choose to move into that which you have given us the ability to control. And that you would fuel our soul with your hope. Hope of the one who ran this race perfectly. Hope of the one who endured the cross. Hope of the one who is alive right now, seated in a glorious throne. We pray for your blessing. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.